It is that time, everybody. Every Friday here on 710 ESPN Seattle, we get into the cage. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. A pleasure to bring back to the program a man we have not spoken to in a while. Does a great job covering the sport. He's the news editor at MMAfighting.com. And if you're a movie or a TV show buff, nerdcoremovement.com is where you can find his work as well. I'm talking about the one, the only Damon Martin with us on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Hello, Damon. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been a while, so there's a, a few things that uh, I want to hit with you that have happened a few weeks ago. But I, I saw something on your your um, your Twitter page, an article up there, and people can follow you at Damon Martin on Twitter. But it's about Pam Sorensen, who's not a you know huge name in the sport, but uh, th- just the line caught me. Pam Sorensen excited to compete for Scott Coker and Bellator, prefers not to work for a quote disrespectful boss like Dana White. I'm just curious, in general, we, we obviously, Dan takes a lot of heat from media, from fighters and, and people like that. I don't hear much about Scott Coker in his relationships with fighters. Is it, in your opinion or your knowledge, is it dramatically different? Is he a guy that just functions completely differently? Or what, what, what is the biggest, uh, I guess, biggest difference between fighting for Dana White versus Scott Coker, in your opinion? Well, you know, the way I describe Scott Coker, and, you know, I've known Scott for a lot of years going back to when he owned Strike Force long before the UFC got involved with Strike Force. Uh, but I always called him a fighter's promoter. You know, he's not worried about being the guy front and center. Uh, you know, this guy doesn't do a ton of media. He's not on Twitter constantly, not on social media. Uh, he's very much what I call a fighter's promoter. He is there to promote the fighter, uh, not the promotion necessarily, and certainly not himself. And that's a, you know, obviously a difference in personality with Dana White. You know, a lot of people would tell you outside of maybe Conor McGregor, Dana White is the UFC's biggest star. Uh, you know, he does a lot of media. He talks a lot. He says a lot of things. He upsets a lot of people. Uh, now, there's a, a certain quality to that kind of bombastic attitude that Dana has, and it's gotten him very far in this industry. And I think he gets along with a lot of people, but there's a lot of people he clashes with as well. And he clashes with them publicly, which is, you know, can get kind of ugly. Now, does Scott have clashes with people, you know, behind the scenes? Probably. Uh, I know there's been a couple instances where I know people have been kind of upset with the way they're promoted or fights they didn't get, things like this. But usually it's not a super, super, you know, public battle because typically they take care of things before it gets to that point. Uh, So, yeah, it's just a, a complete difference in personalities. And I know from talking to Pam, you know, she had told me that, you know, she actually was holding out to go to the UFC. That was her hope. She wanted to go to the UFC. But then, you know, Dana White had made some pretty disparaging comments about featherweights and, you know, why they really hadn't built that division up, uh, you know, around Amanda Nunes after Chris Cyborg left. And, you know, I, I get it. You know, do you really want to work with someone who has more or less said your division doesn't really matter and they're only keeping it around because Amanda Nunes is the champion. I mean, that's not exactly the best job stability in the world. So I get it, and I understand her position. How, how dramatic is the pay difference between the two promotions in your opinion? I know it varies from fighter to fighter and depending on their draw and things like that, but just for for that uh, that, that fighter that's down on the card that may not be a household name, the, the win and you know the show money and the win money, how, how dramatic is that difference, do you think? It's not hugely dramatic. I mean, I think the UFC is still, you know, paying the most to those lower-end fighters, but you have to understand that when you're at the very, very bottom of a card, you know, and, and Bellator has a much smaller roster than the UFC, so their bottom-tier people are, you know, probably making comparable to UFC money at that level because they don't keep 500 fighters on the roster. I don't know if they have more than 200 fighters on the roster, and when you see 
occasionally when we do get the finances for a fight card that comes out, um, you'll see that like Bellator will have some lower end card fighters, you know, pay, paying them like 2,000, 2,500 to show 2,500 to win, which is dramatically lower than the UFC, which is, I think their lowest pay scale is like $10,000 to fight and $10,000 to win. The difference is, those fighters getting five grand in Bellator are basically local fighters under like a one fight deal. They're not you know, under a longer term contract. Now I'm not saying that justifies it. I'm just saying that's typically where you'll see the lower end with Bellator, but you can definitely make good money in Bellator. I mean, there are fighters who are, who are very excited. Ryan Bader is a guy I know, you know, who made a lot of money. Corey Anderson has said, you know, he signed his first contract and he made more money in his first fight than he did in the UFC you know, during you know, his biggest fights in the UFC. Um, the difference with the UFC and pay scale on the higher end is with pay-per-view. When you become a champion or you become a big name and you can start making points on the back end on pay-per-view, that's where you're talking about multi-million dollar paydays, and Bellator is not to that point yet. Does someone in Bellator potentially make a million dollars here or there? Yeah. A.J. McKee just won the Featherweight Grand Prix two weeks ago, and he made a million-dollar check. That's awesome for him, and that's still a rarity in the sport, but – you know, a guy like Connor, Israel Adesanya, you know, some of the bigger stars in the sport, when they get their pay-per-view points, they're making, you know, three, five, six million dollars. And that's still the, the industry standard in terms of the highest payouts. You, you bring up Connor, and we haven't had a chance to speak in quite some time. As I said, he had his third fight with Dustin Poirier, where everybody knows how that went with the leg uh, breaking. And, and before that, you know, he had a couple of good moments. He was also getting touched up a bit as well. So, I'm curious where you're at with him and just in terms of his future is as a fighter, is, is his skill set. Do you feel like it's eroding? Do you feel like Dustin's just not a great matchup for him? Uh, that you know, I mean, you can throw anything out there. Everything's been written that he's lost his desire after all of his money that he's, that he's made and everything. Where, where do you think he's at? Yeah, Connor's in a tough spot right now. I mean, I, I, I didn't like his chances in the Dustin Poirier trilogy even before the broken leg, and you saw – when Dustin got him down on the ground, I mean, he was just battering him with elbows and punches, and Connor just looked like, you know, fish out of water outside of, you know, a couple of upkicks he threw, but he just did not look good defensively. Um, you know, and the way he's reacted afterwards has just not given anyone any kind of sense of stability with Connor's mentality. I mean, he's attacking Daniel Cormier. He's still taking shots at Khabib Nurmagomedov when he's been retired for almost a year now. Uh, you know, he's, he's you know, taking shots at Dustin, and, and it's like, you know, you, he wasn't winning the fight. I mean, obviously, the leg break is completely unfortunate, but he wasn't winning the fight. It was a lopsided fight to that point. And as Mike Brown, uh, Dustin Poirier's head coach, told me right after the fight, you know, typically Connor doesn't get better as the fight moves forward. You know, his best performance are usually in rounds one and two, and he doesn't ex- he didn't expect things to go much better for Connor after that first round had it continued. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. It, it, it feels like Connor has, has really changed in terms of his mentality. I remember I was at his first fight with Nate Diaz when he lost, you know, got a second-round submission loss, and backstage you couldn't have met a more humble guy. I mean, he was yeah. just a very – I mean, he got humbled, but he was very humble. He said, look, you know, I got beat. Maybe I'll go back to featherweight. You know, I got to figure things out. You know, he, he took the loss on his chin. And then, obviously, they started ramping up the promotion again. Of course, he started talking, but that's part of it. We all understand that. But immediately after the fight, he was very, you know, reflective. You know, all those kind of things you hope to see in a fighter coming back. And there's none of that this time. So it's just like, I, I don't know where his head's at. I don't know how he can feel good about what has happened to him lately. 
Yeah, it's just it's such a weird thing. He's such a huge, huge figure within the sport, but just trying to you know isolate all of his behavior, what he tweets, what he says, and just look at where he's at skill set wise. It's it's feels like it's it's winding down that it's it's headed the wrong direction for him. Hey, the the big fight that just took place that everybody's very excited about is the Cyril Gunn, uh, you know, Derek Lewis fight. And while Gunn is is incredibly, you know, mobile and and multifaceted for a guy his size for a heavyweight, you couldn't find a better opponent to look good against than Derek Lewis. And I love Derek Lewis. I love his personality. I love his one punch power. If he hits you, chances are the lights are out. But he's about as one dimensional as it gets, and he's. You know, it's it's. I, I feel like for somebody who's got movement in any level of speed, you can look really good against him if you're not silly and getting caught with punches. Is is some of the hype over that win a little extreme in your opinion? I feel like there's, yeah, he deserves it. Gone is a, is a talented guy, but the guy he just beat is is about as one dimensional as any heavyweight you're going to see in, at, at that level. What do you, what do you think? Well, I think it's a little bit of yes, a little bit of no. And I say yes in terms of, like, Derek Lewis. You know, is Derek Lewis, you know, maybe a little, you know, obviously we know Derek Lewis is, is one-dimensional, but that one dimension is so dangerous, it's gotten him pretty far. I mean, you don't knock out Curtis Blades and Alexander Volkov and some of the other guys he's knocked out without being, you know, legit. The problem is Derek has never really added other elements to his game, and it seems like he really freezes – in his biggest moments. I mean, he did the same thing against Daniel Cormier. And, again, there's no shame in losing to Daniel Cormier. But, again, he just he just looked completely out of place in that fight, and, and it just looked lopsided. So you wonder how much of that is him just not being there, dealing with the pressure very well. Uh, and then I think, I think no in terms of, like, Cyril Gunn is legit. I mean, the guy is, is a legit, athletic, nasty heavyweight with real punching power, and, and I think the thing I like most about Cyril is a guy who can stick to his game plan. I mean, he knew what to do to pick Derek Lewis apart. He knew not to stand there and trade with Derek Lewis. He knew not to walk into Derek Lewis's punches, which is something guys have done over and over and over again. Uh, it was a brilliant game plan, a brilliant strategy, and he went out there and executed it, which is not easy to do. Uh, so I think Cyril Gaon, you know, deserves all the credit in the world for avoiding Derek's dangerous punching power and then going down there and executing an absolutely picture-perfect game plan. So it's a bit of both, but I think the, the negative side is more on Derek because we just never see that kind of improvement. We never see a new layer added to his game. And if he doesn't get that one haymaker, he doesn't get that one big punch, he doesn't have a lot of other alternatives. We don't see him out there going for takedowns very often. We don't see him out there you know, trying to put together three and four and five punch combinations uh, but then, like I said, Cyril knew that and executed and picked him apart efficiently. So is he a guy that you would favor against any other heavyweight if he were to go up against Francis, who they used to train together? Obviously, they have a history and a knowledge of each other, or Stipe, or even John Jones, who Daniel Cormier, his biggest rival, said would give Gon the toughest fight because of you know a guy who's smaller, who's fought smaller guys, who's fought guys who are very athletic and can move a lot. How do you think he stacks up against those guys? Yeah, I, I think DC's uh, analysis of Gon is pretty spot on. I mean, this is a guy who incredible movement, incredible footwork, doesn't put himself into danger, and that is a huge key in heavyweight fights. I mean, I don't care if you're Derek Lewis, you're the number 30-ranked guy in the UFC. One big punch from a heavyweight can knock you out. I don't care who you are. So the fact that Cyril Gaon has shown incredible defense really does him a credit you know, in terms of his future in the sport. So does he have a chance to beat Francis? Absolutely, I think he does. 
Uh, you know, Francis, we, we saw in his last fight with Stipe how much improved he was. His movement was better. His defense was better. His striking was, was more on point and not looking for that one big shot. Uh, but, again, I think Cyril Gaon is a guy that could potentially give him problems if he does stick to a game plan, stays on the outside, stick and move, doesn't get him drawn into big exchanges with a, a massive knockout striker like Francis. Stipe the same way. I mean, like I said, Stipe has – you know, typically had very good footwork and very fast movement, but we know Stipe can get hit, and Cyril hits hard. Uh, so that's an interesting matchup. I think Cyril, you know, Cyril could win that one as well. Uh, and I agree. I think John Jones probably is the toughest matchup for Cyril Gone, considering his movement, his size, his length, his reach. He does a lot of the same things that Cyril Gone does. If you watch any of John Jones' biggest wins over the last four or five years, he does a lot of the same things. Sticks on the outside, uses his reach, you know, punches and combinations and gets out of the way. These are all things that Cyril Gaon does very, very well. So, yeah, I agree with DC pretty much across the board on all those matchups. All right, last thing before I let you go. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your level of excitement to see Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley match up with each other? And I'll give you one more on that. Tito Ortiz and Anderson Silva. Well, for Jake Paul and and Tyron Woodley, I'm going to give it a 10 because I'm going to be there. Uh, I'm going to that fight. It's, it's in Cleveland, Ohio, so I'm actually covering that one uh, in person. So I'm giving that one a high score because I am excited. I'm actually uh, I'm going to be talking to Jake this week. I've actually never interviewed Jake Paul, but I actually have, over the time that I've covered him, I've actually grown to have a, a certain level of respect for the guy. I really do think he's taking it seriously. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the insanity of that fight uh, in a couple weeks. And then, Tito and Anderson, you know, a lot of people are, ta- are, are taking a crap on this fight, and they don't get it. I mean, listen, is it the highest-level fight ever? No, but it shouldn't be. I mean, Anderson should not be fighting, you know, he should not be fighting Triple G. He should not be fighting Canelo. He should not be fighting the best guys <laughs> in the world in boxing. He's fighting Tito Ortiz. It's a low-risk, high-reward fight for Anderson, and, and the same for Tito, although I think, personally, I think Anderson's going to style all over Tito in the boxing ring. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty lopsided fight. But, again, I think it's a low-risk, high-reward fight for both guys. Am I excited about it? Sure, it's fun. I don't know why it's wrong to have fun uh, in this sport. I have not, honestly, I have not had as much fun watching an Anderson Silva fight as I did in his boxing match against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. as I have any of his UFC fights in the last, like, five years because Anderson looked like he was just – so joyful and, and looked so excited to be in there. Looked like he was having the best time of his life in there. And that's what I want to see out of a guy like Anderson Silva, a legend who still obviously has something left in the tank. So, yeah, I, I don't know that rate of 10. I mean, I might not, you know, I might put it like a 7 or an 8 just because it is, you know, Anderson versus Tito in a boxing match. But uh, at this stage in their careers, why not? Yeah, and and I couldn't agree with you more on Anderson. I think he will absolutely piece up Tito, whose striking game, even at his at his peak, was not his strength. It's not what he does. And at this age, I don't know what anybody expects him to do. And and Anderson went in there against a, a very accomplished fighter. I mean, we could talk about Chavez Jr. and his weight issues throughout his career, but he was a champ. He's got skills. He was a legit boxer. So to see him go in there and do what he did. It gives me some confidence in what what Anderson can do, especially with somebody like Tito Ortiz. Uh, last thing, last thing, about, just back to Jake Paul and and the Paul brothers. There, there's a certain segment of of the MMA fan base, I think, that's obviously really reluctant to embrace them on any level. But uh, what I do see them embracing is them calling out Dana White 
and calling out fighter pay and, and all of that and doing it just, you know, right there, putting it in his face. And what, what do you think of that? Do you think that's got any impact? Do you think ultimately this just sort of fades away or, or are they going to be able to affect some level of change? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't know that any anyone making noise is going to affect any kind of change because at the end of the day, unless the UFC is forced to change their practices, they're not going to change their practices. And what I mean by that is, unless something like the Ali Act gets passed in, in Congress and they extend it to mixed martial arts, or a union comes along where they can actually negotiate contracts and things like that, are we actually going to see a change in 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 the fighter pay and the structure of how fighters are paid? That being said, you know, Jake Paul ringing the bell and banging the drum about fighter pay, you know, is, is great. And you know, I talked to Randy Couture about this. You know, he was kind of kind of bummed that it took a guy like Jake Paul, who's not really a mixed martial artist, to make noise to get people to pay attention. He's like, it's kind of a bummer that it's not more of our guys, more of our fighters making that same noise. But he's like, hey, if it takes Jake Paul to bring attention to it, then great, more power to you. And let me tell you a quick story about Jake Paul. You know, a lot of people believe – that this is all lip service. This is all promotion. He's just trying to get under Dana's skin. And I'm sure there's an element of that. I'm quite sure that's part of it. But I had a chance to talk to Steven Espinosa, the president of Showtime Sports, about a week ago. We were talking about Jake Paul, and obviously he signed with Showtime Sports. And as they were putting together their undercard, and obviously Amanda Serrano, a great fighter's on there. They got some great local fighters from Cleveland. They got some other solid fighters on the undercard, you know, to the Tyron Woodley-Jake Paul fight. And he said, you know, Jake is not lip service. He said, when we were negotiating to put together this undercard, he was fighting and arguing to make sure the undercard fighters were being paid properly in addition to his own salary. And he's like, I've only dealt with one other boxer that has gone to those links to make sure his undercard fighters are taken care of. And he's like, that was Floyd Mayweather. Every time Floyd Mayweather fought, he battled to make sure the undercard fighters were compensated properly on his cards. And he's like, Jake, absolutely, that was part of the, part of the, part of the negotiation of his contract was making sure that the undercard fighters were being paid properly. So to me, that says a lot about the guy's character that, yes, this is promotion. Yes, he's trying to get under Dana's skin. You know, will it change anything? I have a hard time believing it, but not because it's Jake Paul, because I don't know if anyone can change it outside of the UFC being forced to change it. But I can tell you, at least talking to Steven Espinosa, this isn't just promotion. This isn't just PR. Jake is legitimately battling for people to get paid better. That's that's very cool. That's I'll, I'll give him credit. As much as some of uh, you know what they do is distasteful to me, I don't I don't love it. I don't hate it. I'm just kind of indifferent. I, that's that's very cool. So, all right, Damon, great to catch up with you again. Again, Damon Martin. You can follow him on Twitter at Damon Martin. He's the editor of MMA Fighting, and also if you're into into movies and TV, everything you want to know, go to nerdcoremovement.com. Damon, we always appreciate the time and look forward to talking again down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.